0: You play ball like a girl! Aren't you a girl? Keep good eye. I'm a girl. That doesn't mean I have to wear a skirt. It's not a girl
1: thing. It's not a boy thing. It's a skills thing. When I first started playing tennis, women weren't really encouraged to play sports, let alone excel in sports. Just want to play ball. Welcome to Ball Like a Girl.
0: And here's your host, Olivia Stacey. Welcome into our second edition of Ball Like a Girl presented by Heavy.com. I'm your host, Olivia Stacey. Hope everyone is having a great week. First of all, I want to thank you all for the feedback we received after our first episode with Nicole Auerbach, who, if you didn't have a chance to listen to it, she's a senior writer for The Athletic and offer some really interesting insight on how she reached that position at a young age and her experiences as a woman in a position that has often gone to men. She is also one of the only female football analysts on a national network. She is a college football analyst on the Big Ten network. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to her episode, I highly encourage you to take a listen to it. And this week, we are Very excited to have another well-established journalist in the college football landscape, ESPN's Laura Rutledge. She's the host of SEC Network's traveling pregame show, SEC Nation. So every Saturday morning, you see her on a different college campus breaking down all of the top headlines in the SEC. She is also a sideline reporter for ESPN's Thursday night college football games and when it's not football season, she's basically everywhere else. She reports on a wide range of college sports, including basketball, softball, baseball, and even gymnastics. So Laura has a very strong knowledge of not only the sports she covers, but an understanding of sports media as well. And in this podcast, she shares her thoughts on ESPN's dissolved partnership with Barstool Sports, offers a behind-the-scenes look at SEC Nation, and discusses how she responds to negative viewers and criticism she receives on social media. I should also mention that Laura happens to be one of my best friends. We actually met our freshman year at the University of Florida in a Starbucks line, of all places, which actually, when I think about it, is very fitting for us. (laughs) We love our coffee. Um, But from that moment on, we formed a close friendship, and I couldn't be more proud Of what she's accomplished in this industry. So without further ado, here's this week's episode featuring Laura Rutledge. Well, I'm beyond thrilled to have Laura Rutledge joining me today. And Laura, this is a little strange. We've had a lot of different experiences together, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've interviewed you before.
1: <laughs> it is. I, you know, people are going to have to just forgive us for it being really good friends and trying to uh, get through this being professional. <laughs> but, but it is actually so cool. I think that we that we're doing this now. I mean, I, just if you think about all the years that we've known each other and all the different things that we've experienced together, this is uh, definitely one that we would put on the list as a, a neat experience together.
0: I know it's going to be fun. So I know how busy this time of year is for you. And thank you for carving out the time to talk with us today. Um, and especially this year with your increased role as the host of SEC Nation on SEC Network, I love watching you every Saturday morning when I get a chance. Um, and, and I know all of our viewers do. Can you take us through a day in the life of Laura Rutledge? What does a typical Saturday look like for you? Because I know every day is different, but take us through a Saturday for you.
1: Yeah, you know, Saturdays, I think, are probably my favorite day of the week, and and it's kind of like the culmination of all the hard work that's been put in throughout the week from everybody. Um, SEC Nation is is such a big operation that there are so many people behind the scenes that we just could not get on the air without all of their help. And so Saturday morning, usually my pickup time, if we're on Eastern time, is around 6.15 a.m. with Paul Feinbaum. We always are in the same pickup together, and if we're on Central time, obviously it's five. 15 so early morning we get to the bus and a lot of times at that point I will have been probably up until around midnight or a little bit later the night before just finishing writing the show putting some finishing touches on it with the producer and so sometimes he'll come in as soon as I get there and make some last minute changes we'll talk through some of those I'll get hair and makeup done um, and Paul will kind of do some hits uh, for Sports Center and for game day and so during that time we're sort of in and out and just you know, relaxing and talking and getting ready for the show. And we eat breakfast at some point. Well, I do, but Paul doesn't eat. So um, anyway, <laughs> it's really just me eating. Um, and then later on, Tim Tebow and Marcus Spears arrive, and so I check in with them and, and make sure that everything's good with them. And then about an hour before the show, or maybe even an hour and a half before the show, me and the researcher uh, we go somewhere else and just kind of go through every single part of the show just one more time to make make sure that we're totally ready to go and and the show is um you know it's a, a really long show but it's not teleprompted at all or anything so everything sort of has to be off the cuff so what i found in being new to hosting a show like this is that i have to know everything so ingrained that when changes happen and when we have to cut things out because we're running out of time or or breaking news happens i have to be able to adjust so going through the show so many times ends up helping me almost you know, have it committed to memory so that when we actually get into action, it goes. And so, anyway, then the show starts at 10 a.m. Eastern or 9 a.m. Uh, Central, and we go for two hours, and then afterwards, we talk to fans. And sometimes we have to catch flights, and sometimes we get to stay for the game. But um, then, then the best part of Saturday, a lot of times, is that I might get home and get to actually watch games on my couch with my husband and my dog. So that's uh, <laughs> that's something that I definitely look forward to, also.
0: Well, when you watch the show, you know, you talked a lot about the behind the scenes moments and the preparation, the research that goes into it, which I know is just countless hours for you all. Um, But when you watch the show, it seems like you, Tim Tebow, Marcus Spears and Paul Feinbaum, it's so effortless and that you're all having such a fun time together. Can you talk about what that dynamic is like for you working alongside of them?
1: Yeah, well, thank you. First of all, we do have so much fun together, and I feel like uh, we try as hard as we can to let that come through on the screen. And and I think that's one thing, you know, a lot of times um, it's way easier to have a show that is, you know, more planned and, and not as, you know, ability to just kind of go off the cuff. And so I think for us, doing all that preparation during the week allows us to be a lot freer on Saturdays and and sort of roll with it and it is interesting because for me a lot of times and I've had people say this you know are you almost babysitting up there because those three (laughs) are so crazy and you just never know what's going to come out of their mouth Um, and there is an element of that and and the interesting thing is and and you know this being in TV is that I'm getting a ton of traffic in my ear uh, and traffic is, is kind of a TV term from the producer and director talking to me and telling me we've got to wrap this or we've got to go to this or this is happening or that is happening and that's all happening you know in my ear while I'm trying to listen and be conversational with those guys too so it ends up being a a funny dynamic but I really think that the time that we spend together throughout the year allows us to sort of know each other so well that in those moments I kind of know when they want to get in and, and like Tim has certain hand signals that he'll sort of do if he needs to get in I'll have hand signals They're all just kind of him because he sits next to me if he's going too long. Like, Tim, we got to move on, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and, and with Paul, I can see him across the desk. So a lot of times I'll just make eye contact with him if, if he needs to go or if he needs to stop. And and it does. It's just it, we've become such this uh, kind of odd, dysfunctional family. But we know each other so well at this point that we can kind of operate that way. And, and one thing, too, that we do that I started this year because I thought it would be kind of neat is on Friday nights, We do, you know, put the finishing touches on writing the show. I'll write the show throughout the week, but a lot of changes will happen. And so, Friday nights after we've taped our segments for SEC Now, we'll have uh, what we call our writing party. And a lot of times it's really not a lot of writing being done until everyone else leaves, but uh, we'll have everybody come and just gather and and eat dinner and talk about the show and talk about things that we're interested in. We'll watch some games if there are college football games on on a Friday night. And so, um, you know, that's been a good bonding time for us. And I think that is so important to have that groundwork laid to have chemistry come through on air.
0: And you just answered my next question because it was, as you were talking, I I wanted to ask you, how do you establish that chemistry? You know, how do you find that dynamic? But like you're saying, it's it's through all of those experiences together, and uh, certainly it's uh, it it appears you know it appears that you guys are that family that you discussed. Um, now I, I I have to mention an Instagram photo that you recently posted because I loved it. Um, it was a photo of you seated with your co-analysts uh, on the set of SEC Nation, and you wrote. Saturday is for the girls and the boys and I love the the play on words um and so as the only woman with a seat at that table what type of perspective do you hope to bring to the discussion that might be different than the guys who you're sitting around
1: yeah you know it's funny because um a lot of people, of course, wrote and commented on that photo like, oh, no, it's not, Laura. It's only for the boys. You know. <laughs> and, that, and that is something that, I mean, you know, we deal with this every single day um, in this business. And, and you know, the, the thing that I, I hope to do and I hope to convey every time is that, hey, we know what we're talking about, too. And, and I, I, you know, it's interesting because in my role, I, I'm not up there to be an analyst necessarily, but I do have an opportunity to occasionally add in some points. Or set people up a certain way, or ask a question that you know would sort of show my opinion and then get theirs. Um, and I think that's been that's been something that's been important to me this year. We started doing these things where it's we call them they're called OTSS, but basically it's like me. By myself, leading into something, and that's been a unique opportunity for me to sort of put some of my opinion into things. And um, I appreciate our producers and our coordinating producers, who are even above them, for allowing me to do that. And, and I, it, it's one of those things where I think you have to earn it a little bit, and that would be true for men too. I think that's true, and every for everybody in this business. But earning it and showing that yes, I do have an opinion, and I've researched it, and I've spent time with a lot. Of these coaches and players that we would be talking about and have good perspective, you just have to keep showing that and, and keep proving it, and they will give you opportunities. And that's one thing that I found on this show. Um, and, and the other thing too that was interesting, and I I think this is something that I really didn't expect because I thought this would kind of be built in, but I knew all the analysts on the show pretty well, uh, but I had to earn their respect a little bit. And I think at this point you know, I have, but it did take some time to where they would really listen to what I had to say. And um, that would be true for anybody coming in new on a show. And so I appreciate them that they gave me that chance. And um, to me, you know, if there's any little girl that's watching that feels like she's more empowered because she sees a woman up there, then that is, that's the best thing that could happen. And that makes it all so worth it for me.
0: Well, your knowledge is is most definitely demonstrated in in how you pose the questions and the discussion that you add so it's a lot more than just asking men for questions, which sometimes people in the industry think, oh, if you're a host, you're just asking men questions. But I-, I like that you brought up that point, that it's it's not you have to write the script, you have to do the research, you have to know what you're talking about in order to know the right questions to ask um, and contribute to that discussion. Um, and as you know, Laura, the SEC is known for its passionate fan base. I mean, some of the most passionate fans are, are in that conference There's so much tradition and so much pride, which can be an amazing thing, uh, but in some cases, we see that passion leading to criticism and, as you just mentioned, sometimes less than desirable comments, and I know you have dealt with your share of unfair comments on social media um, and even some callers on the Paul Feinbaum show, so can you take us through some of those experiences and how you've decided to approach them?
1: well that was just worded so well what you said because I do think that it is it's the passion that leads to it and if you think about fan it's short for the word fanatic and sometimes we do see some fanatical behavior (laughs) uh but you know it's funny because I I love that and that's why I do this but I, I will say you know this year especially has been hard at times because when you know you're you're averaging four hours of sleep a week and you're you know traveling all over the place and you're you are working so hard to bring fans the information and the pictures and the behind the scenes looks and the the all, all the little details that we can bring because we have access to it and that's our job um it's disappointing when they don't appreciate that but one thing that i had to get over very early on was really caring about it because if you start caring about what you know some of these people say then you know it's just not going to work. And and, uh, in particular, uh, you brought up the callers on the Paul Feinbaum show. And uh, that's been interesting because a lot of times these criticisms will come on social media. And so you can sort of take a deep breath and walk away from it or, you know, maybe think of a response that would be witty or clever and you have time. But when somebody is calling you and you are live on TV and you're expected in that moment to defend everything about you and basically defend the fact that you're a woman, um, that was something that I was not necessarily prepared for. And I think in those moments, well, there were times where I thought, okay, maybe I could have said this or could have said that I was proud of the way that I handled it. And I think it goes back to just the way that my parents have raised me the way that, you know, I've been able to, to go through life feeling like women should never be discriminated against. And that's a credit to, you know, my parents and, and never telling me no to anything and letting me reach whatever dreams or follow whatever dreams were important to me. So, um, you know, that it it was interesting because after some of those calls and I can think of a few in particular that were really upsetting, I called my mom and I was like, you know, mom, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Like, maybe I should just forget this and just go, go and, and be a reporter and just call it a day and not try to do this show. And, and she said, no, 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 you need to keep with it. And it was funny because then I ran into a few young women along the way, and even a few moms of some of those young women who told me that those moments really helped them. And, and, you know, I'm not over here as some sort of martyr or some sort of person who's, you know, doing anything that important. But I think if those things happen and they can provide some sort of confidence or some sort of reassurance for people out there, then, you know, by all means, I'll take it all day long and and bring it on because it will keep coming. And um, I just think that's the way to approach it is just to be as prepared as possible, but also to be as kind as possible because if somebody's coming at you that way, they have problems potentially in their lives.
0: Exactly. And I, I think you you have such a well-balanced approach to it. Um, and, and I have seen you fire back sometimes, you know, with uh, with thoughtful approaches um, in your responses on social media. But, you know, you get your point across and you're respectful, but you let them know that, hey, this isn't fair, this isn't right, you know, to, to be calling me out in this way. Because you're someone that would take constructive feedback and criticism, I know, to heart. But when people are being unfair and biased because of your gender. It's just not right. Um, So when some people say to you, oh, well, you know, why give them the time of day? Why do you respond on social media to these people who are not making much sense? You know, what's your response? Why do you respond?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because I there have been a lot of people in this business who have advised me not to respond. Um, and a lot of times I don't. I mean, there are times where it's just like not worth it. You know, you look at it and you think, OK, that's not worth it. But I do feel like why why should we sit there and take that sometimes? And and to me, you know, what it says is is it makes it a little more real to people. I think there's just a lot of bullying that goes on in society. And I'm not calling this some sort of truly Threatening, bullying, because it's not real people. A lot of times, just people that are you know trying to get a rise out of everyone. But um, I, I think that we should be able to stand up for ourselves. And one thing that I've learned too in all of this is that it doesn't help for somebody else to stand up for you. You, you have to stand up for yourself, and you have to show that you're strong and that that's not going to take you down. And and you really don't care. Um, but but I do think you have to be careful about picking and choosing. I mean, there have been times, and and you know even uh, as recently as a, a year or two ago where I would respond to every single thing, and it wasn't nearly as bad as it is now, and so, um, you know, it just wasn't as frequent, but now I just, it it just has become apparent that you do have to pick and choose, and and I think when I'm responding, it's, you know, sometimes, admittedly, it's just out of frustration and like being like, okay, excuse me, (laughs) I need to say something. Sometimes I think it's, it is about standing up for ourselves and saying, you know, I don't want other women out there to feel like they can't stand up for themselves because we should all be able to do that. And um, you see a lot of men respond to criticism as well. So I think we have that right and that ability and we should be able to do it.
0: So, Laura, you mentioned the criticism that men come under as well in, the, in this profession. It's a very visible job and you're exposed to a lot of different people out there. Um, but do you ever feel added pressure as a woman covering men's sports.
1: Oh, definitely. And and there is that old adage that uh, seems to be not that old all the time that's being said that you know, well, you never played. You never suited up. You don't know what this is like. And yes, that's true. Um, I never played and I've worked as hard as I possibly can. And I'm continually working every day to find out new things and to bring new perspectives and um, to do my research and to be very prepared. And and I think that's something that most people would probably say, okay, yeah, you know, she is prepared, but there will always be those people that will use that as some sort of, you know, tool against me. Um, and, And, you know, the interesting argument to that is that there are a lot of men who are in this business who never played sports uh, at all, you know, and definitely didn't play football. So I think that we have to get over that because it just it, it's just stupid that, um, you know, people are able to use that. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, is that there have been a, a few examples of times where, you know, people say, oh, well, you shouldn't be in this in this sport because you're not a man and you shouldn't be doing these things because you're not a man. But the one thing that I found that has, has served as great encouragement to sort of combat that with is that the men that I work with are very encouraging of having women in this business. And, and those men are the ones that I would respect the most. So uh, sometimes when people say those things, I try to think about, okay, well, my friends who are in this business who played, you know, Marcus Spears, Greg McElroy, Tim Tebow, um, the, the list goes on and on of all of these people who have great careers in sports and then have now turned to broadcasting. And they have all said many times, and I appreciate this so much, that they have the utmost respect for me and they'll continue to say that to other people. And so I, I think that's where you almost have to focus on the positive side and know that this criticism is going to come no matter what. And we just have to continue to prove that they're wrong.
0: And you mentioned several male colleagues, some who are former players, some who are not, who have welcomed you into the industry and welcomed you into your role as host on SEC Nation. Uh, One of those um, colleagues has been Paul Feinbaum, and he's such a fascinating personality in the sports (laughs) landscape. I mean, it's, it's so much fun to watch both of you together because it seems that you have such a strong rapport. So what has it been like to work with him?
1: Well, it was so funny because his producer of his show approached me uh, sometime last year. We're still a little bit dicey on when exactly this was, but (laughs) proposed... approached me and said you know would you like to start making some more regular appearances on his show and I thought all right well sure you know I'll try but uh, this is a whole new world you know and it it is something that um you know it's one thing if you're going on there and you're reporting live from somewhere and you've got you know a particular report that you're trying to get out there but obviously when you're on the show you're sort of subjecting yourself to anything and everything that somebody could call in about so I, I said sure I'll try it out and Paul will tell you that he didn't even really know who I was at that point like we had worked together but he Paul is just Paul you know he doesn't really pay attention and so it took him a while to start to realize but there were a few turning points where he says that he realized that I really enjoyed the callers and I do I mean there are very few that are negative most of the time they're so much fun and I I love talking to them and laughing with them and so he started to realize okay maybe there's something here and and we started to just develop this hilarious relationship and I would say now, honestly, that Paul is one of my closest friends. And it's funny because he's a 60-something-year-old man and I'm a (laughs) 20-something-year-old woman, but we we do. We have bonded and we have a lot in common and we have so much fun together. Um, and, And what I think people don't realize is that we spend a lot of time with each other outside of work, you know we're always together traveling. So we'll drive together from somewhere back to the Atlanta airport. You know he's great about taking care of me, and I try to take care of him. He'll bring me snacks on Mondays when I'm on his show because we're on the show for five hours and so we get hungry. He'll always bring me these snacks that I like. I always put these immune uh, drops in his in his coffee <laughs> oh. on Saturday mornings <laughs> to try to keep him healthy and feeling good. And um, you know we we. Just have developed a really fun relationship, and it's been cool because both of our spouses, his wife Linda, and my husband Josh, have have sort of started to talk as well. So we're all, you know, just kind of like this fun little group, and um, and I just appreciate Paul so much because Paul is somebody who is so well established, and he did not need to add anybody to his show at any point in time, and um, for him to sort of take that risk because it was a risk and still is a risk every single day. There are still people that don't like it and don't like me. Don't me there and say that it's a boys club and I shouldn't be there and I don't belong. And he has continually stood beside me and and promoted me and said, you know, told those people that they're wrong. And um, I just really appreciate that because he did not need to do that. And he's sort of gone out on a limb. And, and I think it's because he believes in our fun together. But he's also been somebody that's so incredibly kind. And while he's sort of mysterious to people, uh, one thing that I found out about him is that he truly is a kind and very interesting, highly intelligent person.
0: Well, it's, it's really fun to see your behind-the-scenes snaps and Insta stories with Paul. <laughs> I see some of the <laughs> snack sharing that's going on on set. Um, and, and and obviously, you two um, work so well together. So um, it, it's great to see you on his show. And I'm sure there's a lot that you've learned from working alongside Paul, someone who has uh, such esteem in the industry and so many experiences. But is there a particular piece of advice that he's given you or just an experience together that's really made an impact on you?
1: Yeah, you know, I think one of Paul's pieces of advice, and we kind of talked about this earlier, he's somebody who gets a ton of haters. I mean, he is constantly that people he's very polarizing people either love him or hate him. Um, but he's sort of fascinating to everybody. And so he's been somebody that will tell me a lot of times, you know, don't respond to people, or don't let that affect you. You know, don't look at this, don't look at that. And, and he's been a great just sort of barometer for all of that. And he's very even keeled. He doesn't let anything affect him. And so I think I've learned a lot from him just watching him deal with that because the people say things to him and about him. They're absolutely crazy and just not accurate at all. And he just takes it in stride and uh, continues to remain classy through all of it. So I, I think that's been probably the main piece of advice that he's given me that I've learned from. And uh, the other thing that's just so fascinating about him is just his historical context on things. I mean, obviously, like you and I know it. We're, we're like late twenties, so we weren't around for a lot of the things that happened that provide context to some of these other things that are happening now. And and he's able to refer to specific games, and he just has this amazing recall of those games and can remember you know where he was and and what he was doing. He was talking about some 1985 Iron Bowl the other day where he was standing on top of the bench next to Bo Jackson as you know a, a final play was happening. And I'm like, what were you doing on top of the bench? <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's incredible. Like, Paul's just down there on top of the bench next to Bo Jackson. But just the the stories that he has are are amazing, and I just find them so fascinating. I'm always trying to pull more out of him.
0: And while we're on the subject of talking about your experience at ESPN and the personality types, I wanted to touch upon uh, something that, you know, made a lot of headlines – Along with you know ESPN and and that was the recent partnership with Barstool Sports. Of course, it only ended up lasting ten days, but after <laughs> the agreement was first announced, we all saw that Sam Ponder was very vocal and how she felt. Um, she tweeted you know these screenshots from Barstool articles that included derogatory statements about her. So as a fellow woman in the industry who was also employed by ESPN, I'm curious to hear how you initially felt about the partnership.
1: Yeah, I didn't feel good about it, and I I was sort of confused about why we were doing that, and I felt like at the time that maybe it was going to be a different type of show. I thought there's no way that they can put, you know, what Barstool is – on our network we just can't we have too much integrity to protect and for me you know I'm never going to sit here and say that I don't think Barstool is funny at times because there are times where I do think what they're putting out there is funny and um, it has a place in the world and I get that but to put them on a platform and especially considering that it wasn't just Sam who they had ripped on but a lot of us not me particularly but a lot of well respected women that work at our company and also just around media they, they had had a lot to say about that and their tagline as you know is saturdays are for the boys and that's where all of that comes from and so there there was a lot that was conflicted in all of it and then i was very conflicted about it, and when I saw Sam come out, and you know, of course, it turned ugly on both sides with that whole situation. But I was very proud of Sam for standing her ground and saying, you know, this is not okay. I don't agree with this. Sam is one of, if not the most front-facing women at our company, and I liked that. You know, even though they, it, it wasn't completely because of Sam, but I liked that the leadership said, okay, fine, we're not going to do it. I think a lot of times, you know, that was sort of an embarrassing deal. <laughs> a lot of times people might not have had the wherewithal or the gall to say okay we're just not going to do this you know and i appreciated that even though we shouldn't have done it in the first place That they did come back and say all right we're not doing this this is not the right fit for us
0: And as you know, this podcast is about women in sports. I know you've had the opportunity to work alongside some incredible female athletes in a variety of sports from softball to gymnastics. What has surprised you about some of the work you've done surrounding women's sports?
1: Oh, I, I can't say enough about how much I love women's sports. And I don't think they get enough credit. But the, the one thing that I will say is that I do think ESPN is doing a great job of promoting them. And, you know, Meg Aronowitz, who is our coordinating producer for women's sports, a lot of women's sports, she does softball and gymnastics. She has been at the forefront of really changing the game in both of those sports particularly and has done so much to bring, you know, even further attention to these sports. I mean, you think about the women's college role. series just as recently as like 18 20 years ago uh, we only covered about one game and it was barely on TV now Every single game, you know, leading up all the regionals, super regionals, and obviously the Women's College World Series, they're all on ESPN or ESPN2 in great time slots. They rate so well. Um, And it's just a credit to people believing in that and believing in women and believing in their athletic ability. And I think what you see with a lot of women's sports, just because of the way it is, that's sort of it for for these athletes. They're not going to go on and play professionally. And so this is the biggest stage, and to celebrate that has been so much fun and I I just hope that we continue to see these sports grow and um, I love them I mean I look forward to doing gymnastics probably more than anything uh, during that time of year and um, also doing doing uh, obviously softball and women's basketball but I just think what you see these women do is amazing and they're such incredible athletes and they deserve to be highlighted and celebrated as many ways as we can.
0: And growing up, you had an extreme athletic ability, but you didn't play in sports. You classically trained in ballet. So when you were younger, did you ever think you'd have a career as a sports reporter?
1: No, I never did. (laughs) And you know
0: that because you know me. I know this question, but a lot of people don't know this about you. So, you know, we, we have to we have to discuss it.
1: Right. And, and, you know, the ballet thing was very important to me. I, I did it all the way through college. I tried to still dance when I was in college, although at that point I was sort of like a has-been. But um, it, it really was such an important thing because I think it taught me a ton of hard work and discipline. And even though it was in a different field entirely, and I thought for a while I would be a professional ballet dancer until I, I did get to college and change my mind and, and went into uh, the radio station at Florida, that was basically the way that I started doing sports stuff and, and sports broadcasting. And so, um, you know, the one thing about ballet is obviously it doesn't really play into anything that I'm doing now. But I do think what I said about the discipline, the hard work, just being focused on something and 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 being never being afraid of a challenge because ballet never came naturally to me. It was always a challenge. Every single part of it I had to work for. And so that's been kind of the same way with, with this business and with um, being a sports reporter and in in a host. It's, it's it's always going to be hard. It's never going to be easy, but I love every second of it. And to me, that's what's most important.
0: And Laura, I know that you have a radio appearance that you have to get to. Um, but really quickly, I want to touch upon just your background for those who aren't familiar. I know your story uh, in the industry, but you've risen to success at such a young age in a very competitive industry. And I'm sure a question you get very frequently is, how did you get there? How did you get a seat at the table in SEC Nation? So can you briefly summarize how you feel your career path has led you to your current role and and throw in any advice that you feel for aspiring reporters who are out there who who want to follow in in those similar footsteps that you've taken.
1: Yeah, um, I do have to get to the radio show, so I will be as quick as possible. But uh, the main thing was radio. And and I started doing that in college. I did really only radio. I didn't really take my TV classes that seriously. I probably should have taken them more seriously. Um, But I I loved radio. And that's what allowed me to kind of catch some eyes just from another side, another perspective. I had a niche in college football recruiting, which was sort of rare at the time. And that opened a lot of doors for me. And I really think that's the main thing that made a big
0: difference all right well thank you so much for your time laura it was so fun to chat thank with you. you and good luck with your radio appearance <laughs> okay Bates. i will talk to you soon bye bye another big thanks to laura for joining us and next week we have a national pro fast pitch commissioner sherry Kemp joining us sherry has been at the forefront of women's fast pitch softball for many years now as a player, as an instructor, a TV sports analyst, she is basically seen the sport from every angle, and now as commissioner of the NPF, which is a position she's held since 2007, so we are so thrilled to have her on next week. In the meantime, give us a shout on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I want to say how much I appreciate the social media interaction and the reviews you all left on iTunes. It's really helpful as we navigate the beginning stages of this podcast. So please keep on connecting with us. Keep those reviews coming. And we will be back next week with a new episode on Wednesday. So make sure to hit that subscribe button on iTunes so you don't miss it. Thanks for listening to Ball Like a Girl and have a great week.